when I have a trusted economic system, I'm going to try to diversify my assets accordingly as broadly as possible because I trust that system and maybe I don't trust any specific ones. I diversify my assets accordingly. And, and in America, you either do this like the NASDAQ or the S&P, right? The indexes. And, and so I'm wondering what, what the, the analogy is here to the NFT market as a whole. Is it, do I invest into um, up and coming celebrities. You don't want to do people that are, you know, old celebrities because their social status is going to decline and their NFT value is also going to be destroyed as a function of that. And so it's like, you know, I, in the same way that I invest in companies that will exist and continue to produce products, I want to invest in NFTs and creators that can continue to create. Welcome back to episode 19 of the Certain Uncertainty Podcast. Today, we've done a lot of research and have put together one episode to rule them all. NFTs fully explained start to finish. We're going to answer a whole bunch of questions about what they are, where they come from, and different types of research and growth that's in this really popular market right now. So, John, you want to warm us up with these questions we're going to get going? Yeah, thanks for the introduction. Let's jump into these questions. we got a couple of them. Some of them are basic. Some of them are a little bit more complicated. So, first and foremost, well, what is an NFT? Uh, what actually allows these things to exist in, in this world of digital infrastructure, right? And, and we're really going to dive into what that is as a, as a conceptual term in both a material practical term. Um, so then the next question is, well, how do you make an NFT if you're curious about doing that? And then how do you sell that NFT project you create? And then after we kind of get into the basics of NFT, we're going to start to actually talk about the associated conceptual value of these items. And then at a larger level, look at what NFT ownership means in the context of social status, as many NFTs come with this prestige. And we really wanted to kind of tackle that beast and, and see how these ownership can actually influence psychological status markers as well. Um, and then finally, we're going to go into what, this, what the potential is for these NFTs. And so hopefully we can at least dispel some of the you know, taboos or misinformation that, that comes with NFTs and all the people who are on the hype bandwagon of trying to make as much money in as quick as, as time as possible. Yeah. So that being said, I'll ask you the first question. What is an NFT? Yeah. So I think the way, the best way we can approach this is first to make this so anyone who's kind of experienced this realm or heard about it in different ways can finally have a fundamental grasp of what this technology is why people are raving about it so much and not so much the approach of people who are self-proclaimed experts in this field and kind of approach two or three pieces of the pie and really the rest of it doesn't really make sense which i feel like is generally the consensus for people kind of our age or who are who are new to um the the blockchain realm of technology so from the very beginning nft stands for non-fungible token that's pretty common what that essentially means is that it's not a payment system you cannot go and buy something with it, you know, in your local, it's not a local currency. It's not a form of um, payment system. It is in fact an object or um, an identified in object of value that can be traded or represented with um, fiat currency, like the dollar, like cryptocurrencies. But it it in of itself is not a piece of currency. So that's what it that's what it means in its most basic level. Yeah, let me let me stop you there real quick cuz there is some interesting examples that we can use and the first thing that comes to my mind is diamonds. Um, you know, you would assume that anything that can be reproduced to some level of consistency then has a fungibility associated with it, meaning that it can be interchanged. My $10 bill is the same as your $10 bill. And when it comes to things that are material like diamonds, it's actually really interesting because 
the material complexity of the diamond is very unique in a way that it actually takes quite a bit of skill to actually cut the diamonds. And so while the material properties are consistent across diamonds, the way you actually cut the diamonds then becomes a non-fungible thing that you can interchange, right? How precise was that cut of a diamond? And I always thought that was really interesting just as a way of perceiving that you know, fungibility a lot of the time just lies in human skill level and being able to shape these material properties that are the exact same, mm -hmm. but in different methodologies. It's like the the beautiful, you know, table or chair that comes out of the yeah. tree. Like the talent of the carpenter is the value of what you're, you're right. really paying for. And, and if we, you know, if we took two, two tables and we put them through a shredder and we would see that, hey, this has the exact same mass of wood particles that this other one does, but it is in the complex organization of the structure itself that provides the non-fungibility yeah. of it. And, and so I'll, I'll just kind of stop there and, and let you jump back into the NFT explanation. No, that's exactly right. So what these um, digital objects are that are exploding in popularity from everywhere as far as the ultimate fighting um, champion. So UFC is putting out an NFT pretty soon, all the way to um, artists and musicians and people that have you know any sort of um, original object that they want to, and it's pretty interesting now, NFT has become a verb. You can NFT something, which is really interesting. And I've heard you know, numerous podcasts, people are saying, just NFT it, which is just funny because it's just a misuse of the actual word, but that's the kind of culture that's behind it. And that's actually one of the most important things when describing the realm of NFTs mm -hmm. is the connection and aspect of the community and culture that exists behind it. And we'll dive into that a little bit more, but from a basis of what actually is an NFT, it is just a digital representation of some original item. And the way that works, because, you know, the, the great question everyone asks is, okay, you have a picture of whether it be one of the popular, you know, monkeys or bored apes or whatever it is. It's like, why can't I just take a picture of it? You know, why can't I just get a JPEG and use that as the same thing? Like, why is that actually valuable to you? And the easy or at least simple answer behind that is it represents more than just the image itself. And I think that's the next layer of depth that we're gonna get into in this episode of where we discuss why it actually has value beyond just the, the intrinsic art itself. Like when you're actually looking at these pieces, to me, and this is obviously, obviously subjective, many of them are not spectacular pieces of art. They don't represent an innate talent like the, the great painters of history that you look at that piece of, of artwork from um, Da Vinci or from Michelangelo, and you're in awe at the beauty of what it represents, not only the talent of the skill, but the representation of the culture, the proportions. There was so much that went into those that this artwork is a manifestation of true expertise, which I don't think is reflective in 98% or more of NFT art. NFT or NFTs in this realm right now are in a weird growth phase where in the future, or at least in the, in the present, it's the technology itself that I think is the most interesting and worth discussing and exploring rather than these you know, hundreds of spinoff, one-off projects that people are, are minting right now. So I'll pause there. Well, I, I think you funneled in right next to our, our next question is which, how do you make an NFT? How do you make something that's original in a digital marketplace where you have built-in tools on your on your desktop screen where you can copy and paste things, mm -hmm. right? So because the reproducibility of these digital art forms isn't necessarily restricted, how then do you build an NFT to get around those, I don't know, digital constraints? 
right? I, I don't know necessarily what the best way to think of it is, but how do you how do you prevent the reproducibility of something that is released into a marketplace where people have the tools to easily reproduce it? Yeah. Yep. So as as this space continues to grow, there are more and more ways to actually produce an NFT collection or a project. And I think my goal for this episode is going to try to answer each question in the minimum amount of words to, to sensibly answer what we're actually talking about. Because I feel like many people who talk about NFTs are very verbose. It's very explanatory or it's, it's in, a, in a way that I'm right and I'm going to tell to you why NFTs are valuable. And it's just like, I just want a fundamental explanation. So in order to make an NFT project or sell it, you have to approach whatever the, the art or the music or the object is that you want to put on a digital ledger. So many people are familiar with the, the artistic ones, like the board apes, like the whales. You know, many people have gone through um, hundreds and thousands of iterations of design for just drawings, right? So someone doesn't actually draw all 10,000 of them together. Now we're moving into a realm of um, computation where either via an AI or from random generation with a specific set of parameters, you only really need to draw maybe 20 of them. And from these 20, you have different layers and characteristics that you can specify where it's saying you can change the smile, the eyes, the nose, the hat, the jewelry, the actions, the animations. These are all just layers that you can add on to your project. And you can give each of these layers uh, either a weighting or a rarity. So you can weight um, how much the, the attribute that you're looking to put onto your layer is actually worth in the marketplace, or you can uh, toggle the rarity because that's a huge factor in the value of a single NFT within a collection is, oh, that specific attribute is very rare. So playing on just simple supply and demand, there's very few of that type of picture with that specific attribute. So therefore that one is more valuable, kind of like the, like the Charizard Pokemon card. Yeah, like right. if you have this specific one, it's so rare to pick, it's a million dollars. But but the value is related to the collection itself. So say I release a collection and that is an NFT in itself, right? Composed of, let's say 20 JPEG images. Does, does the value relate to the collection itself? So say I say my NFT value is a million bucks. Um, and then depending on the rarity of the 20 images in there, right? So say one of them, only one of them has this unique smile type, right? Does that get the majority of the weight in relative to that collection's value? So like, because it's rare within those 20 images, that NFT image will have the most value of this collection. Is that, or, or is it, is it more so relative to the whole broad market of NFTs that are produced? Like, let's just use JPEG images because they're easy and simple. But like, is it, is the value relative to the rarity of all JPEG images? Like if I surveyed all current JPEG images that were currently being offered as an NFT and then looked at all the different rarity signatures, you know, say it's all a bunch of these animals and they're all anthropomorphized and none of them have a frowny face. And then I create an NFT with a frowny face. Would that then change the value to a significant degree that would put it above all the other ones? I would say no. So not to a significant degree. And that's the, the next level of the NFT community and culture that's being built is that there is a, a transmissibility with the ownership of one of these, you know, one of these objects, one of these digital objects to the access or 
other realms that that ownership provides for you. So this is, I think, the most interesting aspect of it to me. If you were to create, you know, a new NFT with a frowny face, which is unique to the NFT market, it doesn't necessarily change the weighting of the market, maybe a little bit, but not so much the the just existence of a new NFT with a frowny face, but more so the story and the community that you can develop behind a project itself. And I think this has been a really interesting new layer to the influencer community. Um, so much of what exists within social media and people's capability to create movements, brands, and products in a digital platform. And a lot of this has also been kind of juggled around with the, the combination of new you know, metaverse conversations where people are talking about, oh, in the metaverse, when this is mainstream in 10 to 15 years, you can walk around um, in your metaverse community and have your most popular expensive NFT floating over your head or, you know, on a t-shirt on your body. And this will establish status and it will establish um, ownership of something valuable. The same, the same ways, you know, maybe having a sports car in Malibu. It's, it's a status symbol in one way, but it's also an activation energy to join part of a community in another way. And this is where it starts to get interesting. And we have the deeper conversation of intrinsic value versus ex extrinsic value. So when you look at an NFT in itself, does it in of itself actually have value or is it a bridging connection between people who want something and people who have something? And I think that's where it starts to get interesting. As we look at say with the board eight yacht, yacht club, if you own one of those, I don't, consider you an art collector. But what you do have now in that niche limited community is access to a literal yacht club. So that's where it starts to get interesting is it's now your ticket as a status symbol into a community of people like-minded as yourself. Which then also creates some increase in value depending on the use of that NFT as a way to gain entrance into some event. Mm -hmm. And so then the value then increases, in, I mean, depending on people's desire to get into that specific event. And so, I mean, I, we're kind of going full circle to answer the question, how do you sell an NFT? But before we even get there, we need to figure out how the value is created. And, and in some sense, there is this psychological bandwagon effect in which the value is created by a group of individuals who all say that this has some potential for value. Um, and, and that and therein is this, this, this potentiation of value for a broad range of NFTs, specifically a, a single collection, then generates, this, and it's, it's really complicated, right? I mean, I mean, honestly, what, what is determining psychological preference for a given item at the individual level? And then if we scale that across a whole collective, we call them a community, right? What is then de determining their, their preference as a group to determine the value of this said NFT, right? So like, there's a lot of layers of, of subjective preference for a given item, as well as the social status effect that only builds so long as there's a community willing to give a potential value to it. Exactly. So it's like, what is a system to then create a value metric for an NFT? I mean, and this is where you get into the long-term versus short-term value me uh, metric and how it fluctuates over time, depending on the group's willingness to adopt an NFT into this, their part of their preferences or whatever. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So in, in a way, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think one of the best comparisons that I tried to materialize to think about what that actually looks like in the the physical world, you know, not the digital world. It's like buying a house in San Francisco or New York. Not everyone wants to do that. 
not everyone chooses to spend that volume of money to live in this city. But there are people, for whatever their motives are and reasons, that do find value in buying a very expensive house in San Francisco because it gives them access to the community. It gives them access to the tech influence um, of this, the Bay Area. To them, there is value. But if you say that to people from you know, Texas or the Midwest or Colorado or wherever else, and they look at that and they look at the prices and they say, to me, that's just not valuable. It's not worth paying that price per square foot. I don't want to live in that community. It doesn't really matter to me. I have other things that I'm looking for. And I think that's a good comparison because when we look at some of these projects, it's like, how, like who would actually pay that much for that thing? Right. It's like, how does, how does a, how does the community here really decide how much the value per square foot is? How do you decide how much that NFT is in its own, in its own marketplace beyond just supply and demand? So I, I think that's, I think that's where it comes down to. I think your example of the San Francisco real estate that comes with this larger community around the SF area, that then determines the real estate value of that house. In a very same sense, the NFT, depending on the community that, that you get access to when you buy that NFT, it's like, oh, I bought this ape. Hey, you bought that ape too? And you're also a multi-billionaire? Whoa, this NFT went straight up. Because we have people with specific wealth statuses that are agreeing upon a potential for value of this given NFT. And so this is really interesting because when you're buying an NFT in in some sense, you're buying friends, right? Like, like in a very kind of indirect way, you are buying a community rather than an actual art form. And that is the complexity. The complexity is the relationships that come around some said NFT. Is that, is that the right way to think about it? You think? A little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think one of the most exciting parts of this technology in the future. So right now, I think it's really going through a lot of growing pains. You know, people are, are on the hype train, on the bandwagon. They're really excited about the money that you can make in a short time, kind of leveraging people's excitement and eagerness to get into this field. Because like any exponential growth in the early phases, there were the early adopters and there's the people that see the immediate spike that have buyer's remorse or lack of buyer's remorse. You know, they wanted to get in, they thought about it, but they didn't. And now people are seeing other individuals in this community make a lot of money, like a really, really large amount of money in a very short amount of time. So obviously there's envy, people wanna get in. And that's where I think a lot of the projects coming out right now are worthless. I would say a good 80 to 90% of the projects coming out right now are truly worthless and are just attempts to make money. Well, because, so I think this is where it comes down to attention as a, primary value creator for NFTs. If you don't know about it, it, is not, it doesn't hold value. Mm -hmm. Depending on the number of people that know about it, then it increases in value, right? It's it's an adoption curve more or less than, I mean, this is with any, any currency, right? The value increases as more people start using it and so forth. And, and people start adopting this as a, as a way of communicating value. Um, but you know, like this is, this is the whole thing because I'm wondering how, how privacy is then created because if if the individuals who own a specific NFT have associated a status with it and because their status is, is say 
you know, great or greater than average, then it increases the NFT value because of that. I'm wondering then, you know, when you're when you're someone who's looking to buy NFTs, there's probably going to be a whole bunch of people looking to background check other people who own it as well as so that so that they know, okay, if people that are of high financial status are adopting these NFTs, I know that value is going to increase as well as a function of that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm wondering, you know, there's got to be a whole bunch of, of privacy uh, regulations around actually communicating that you own some piece of, of NFT or else yeah. you can have broken markets and, you know, you'll just have all the people with high financial status and you'll exclude the other ones from joining your community. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way is like, I want these friends to come to my house and I don't want these other friends. And that's depending on the friendships, it makes my house more valuable or whatever. Right. It's yeah. Yep. It's 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 just kind of how how it goes. Like Hollywood Hills, for example, it's like it's like a it's like a it's like a, a membership club. Yeah, like a private membership club. Right, it's exactly what it is, and it is is super cool to think how this is adopted in the digital form. Because for a while, there's all of these you know private country clubs and and communities of wealth and status where you need to be invited, you need to come and interview. There's a there's a specific set of criteria that's been developed in order to join our community. We have to vet you in some sort of way. And I think that exists at all levels of the hierarchy within within structures and societies. But when it comes to the NFT realm, less so what it can get you, but more so how I think it can benefit the future of creators. And I think that's what excites me the most because right now, I've started to see some of the projects come out that are less so just like, hey, look at this art piece, look at this like new animal that I created. But instead, say you have George Lucas come out and say, hey, I'm writing a book and I'm doing it independently. I'm not going through a publishing agency. I'm not going through an editing agency. I'm going to do it myself. And I will give 10% of my worth, of my wealth to an NFT mint, Mm. which is where they they launch. And he's, I'm going to sell 10% of all the wealth that I get from my new Star Wars for $5,000 or $10,000. And you put out a hundred of those. So you have you know, this community that says, you know what, I've, I've read some of your short stories. I think that's pretty cool. Who's George Lucas? I'm gonna go buy the NFT for George. And there's different you know, variations of the, the tokens he gives out where he says, okay, if you buy this thousand, you can have a digital copy and a physical copy of the book immediately if you buy this thousand if this 500 you can have which are which are now more expensive you can have um a signed copy of the book as well as a digital version if you buy this other thousand you will have access to a weekly call with me where you can ask me anything and i do live readings Mm -hmm. and in the future when star wars blows up anyone who sells one of those nfts or anytime one of them is sold in the contract royalties go back to george and he says, if you ever sell it in the future, I get a 10% royalty on that sale. Right. So right. it's a way for f- creators to fund themselves, which needs some kind of working out. But I think that's a really cool concept. So I'm, I'm going to sidebar the influence thing. I, I think it will come up. I think we really need to hatch down exactly what the process looks like to mint an NFT. Because to me, I mean, I, I understand like, you know, you're coining it. And that's what yeah. you mean to mint it. But what does that mean? How, do, how does it retain its originality? How does it how does it prevent its reproducibility? And, and I'm sure we're going to get into like, you know, unique platforms that allow this to happen or something like yeah. that. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, that's, that's my question is what does it mean to actually mint something? And maybe you can answer that. Yeah. yeah great question. Thanks for, thanks for bringing this back. Um, so when you go through the process of creating this artwork, you specify over or project, you specify how many individual NFTs you want to put into your collection for arbitrary reasons, let's say 5,000. There are 5,000 unique variations with different levels of commonness and rarity, and those represent some community or culture. So let's say, um, let's say, for example, for a live example, we wanted to do a cup NFT, certain uncertainty podcast. We put out 5,000 and a select number of those can give access to us, right? So they have intrinsic value for people who listen to the podcast. If we wanted to actually launch one of these, they all go through the blockchain. And right now, Ethereum is the main blockchain that NFTs are hosted on. So the way you put your project on the blockchain is you have to go through any of these um, marketplaces as a seller or a creator. And there's a couple of the main marketplaces right now that are kind of the top ones, which are OpenSea, um, let's see, Rarity, and then crypto.com, I think are some of the top three that are a hosting marketplace for you to mint an NFT project. So you have to go through all of the generation of the different JPEG files. And then when you want to mint one, you create your community with your social media presence somehow. And then you go to any one of these marketplaces of your choosing, probably the top three is a good place to start. And you create a project and you have a mint, kind of like literally minting a currency. That's when it was created. That was the original you know, launch day. It's just another word for launch date. So when your project mints, that's when your tokens are released to the marketplace for people to buy. Okay. And then they're live. So, okay, there's a couple of questions then. In the minting process, are you generating tokens? Does that happen while while you're minting, or is a minting process say, hey, these NFTs, or let's just do one, let's just say this NFT collection composed of one JPEG image, make it real simple. Do I right when I mint it, I'm saying, okay, everyone, y'all can y'all can buy partial ownership to it, right? And that's the minting process. And then there's another step to actually create tokens for people to actually own partial parts of that NFT. How, how does that work? So I don't think you can own a partial portion of an NFT. Like one one token, it is, it one is token one per NFT. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. see. And then you can one transaction on the blockchain exists for one NFT. So that's what the origination or the originality aspect of these really comes around is why can't I just screenshot it, right? I can just have a screenshot of the exact same thing that you have. Well, it's actually less so the actual piece of artwork, but say you go into the Instagram for NFTs, let's just say there is one, right? Where this is the community where people display what ownership they have of their NFT collections. Mm -hmm. And instead of just being able to post anything from your phone, you actually have to input the, the address, the long form numerical and letter address of that specific NFT's kind of key. Like that, it's like an address. It's like a literal address mm -hmm. for the blockchain that says, on this spot in the address, that is the original JPEG of XYZ thing that right. you launched. And in order to present that, you have to, in in the Instagram for NFTs, you have to have that address. Mm. I see. I'm just wondering, so then, 
An NFT is less about <laughs> the actual NFT and more about the token, the token that you own, this this key to unlock the lock that says, hey, there's there's my art part, art piece right mm-hmm. there. And and no one else has the key, yep. right? No one else has your token to unlock that NFT and, and display it to the rest of the world. Yep. So, I mean, I think from the ground up, you go to one of these sites, you say, here's some data source. In this case, this data source is a, a, a JPEG, a collection of, you know, <laughs> a matrice of, of different hues and saturations and tones and whatnot, right? Those are just data puts that you throw over to the platform. That platform then plays a crucial role in the actual uh, initial valuation process, depending on how trusted that platform is in the first place, right? So there's there's a couple different areas of volatility and depending on the volatility of the platform's trust itself and its ability to license out new tokens for a given set of NFTs, right? How, how quick are they? How much energy does it cost? All that good stuff. And then, okay, now I've, I've got on the, on, the, on the platform, I'm, I'm ready to trust them and I'm going to license my NFT and then and afterwards, I'm hands off and people can just grab in, buy the token right when it comes up and is available. So like, I guess my question is, how do I survey the playing field of NFTs in a holistic view? And I know maybe there isn't way, a way to do this, but I'm wondering how, how I can kind of like stocks, see all the different prices for, for the NFTs and then pick and choose. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this even existed and if we're not even there yet in the technology, but I imagine it's... It's very similar to a, to a company that you're investing in, um, where the company represents the collection of NFTs, mm-hmm. and then each one of the art pieces is your actual equity inside that company. Yes. Uh, right? Yep. Okay. So on, on some of these marketplaces like OpenSea, there is kind of a, a, a grid-like platform of matrices where you can go through and look at a series of popular projects, and it will go through and show you what the, what the current price is for an auction that that specific piece is going for. It will show you the last sale price. So you can actually filter from um, just the general, you know, holistic marketplace to specific projects. So you can go on to OpenSea or, you know, crypto.com and you can look at, say, I want to look at the certain and certain, like I can, I want to look at the cup NFT project and you can see all of them that are hosted on that platform, what they were sold for, how much, how often they were auctioned. And one of the coolest parts about this is you can see the entire history of public transferability. So every single time that NFT was sold and transferred and bought, there is on that ledger a complete list of who it came from, mm. who it went to, right. and for how much, and for and when. So that's really cool. Because imagine if we could look at the Mona Lisa and had a detailed ledger going back to when it was first created of everyone who owned it, traded it, you know, held it in a museum that would be so cool that'd be so interesting to well, this have is, i mean this is the value, value add that comes with the blockchain though mm-hmm. rather than i mean because the blockchain yeah. is really a, a marketplace with a single transaction that can be viewed by everyone mm-hmm. right no matter what what material object you're transferring or immaterial in this case you're transferring it's one one transaction um there's no like you know multiple intermediaries that are that are regulating your transaction or seeing if it actually existed. It's just one thing that's blockchain is kind of disclosing that. And so it's NFTs, uh, intersection with blockchain is really what is enabling this craze in the first place. So I think that's like step one. It's like, if you want to learn more about NFTs and how to kind of take advantage of this process, you need to go into blockchain tech, 
right? And understand how tokens are generated from an NFT. And then you can kind of move towards, you know, building out these AI systems, which are going to, you know, do all those rarity analysis and, and build out these unique art morphologies from this AI's unique rarity weighting system. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then from there, you would basically associate a unique token to each one of those, which then can be sold. Yeah. So that's like that's like the full pro- pipeline process. And so, I guess the biggest question then is, where does trust exist in the NFT market space? Because I mean, that's my my first question is, how do I know if I if I buy a yacht club right when when right when they see that Jonathan bought a yacht club uh, NFT token, they're like, oh, we don't we don't want a yacht club token anymore because Jonathan's got one. Right. Mm-hmm. And the exclusivity of the owning a yacht club is, is what makes it valuable in the first place. Right. Only yeah. only cool people, quote unquote, can have this NFT. And, and if it's all adoption based, you know, you're going to sink your your yacht club collection just right there. Yeah. So this is this is kind of what, what is, is tying me back to, you know, full circle privacy, because since everyone can view that I own a token at the same time, they can then do do some kind of digging on, okay, this person owns that token and has this social status. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the more people of this social status jump in, and I can do this because I'm looking at the blockchain, I can see who has the tokens and, and all that good stuff. I'm just wondering, you know, at that level of, of person, I mean, I might be missing something in the encryption of the token and how it hides personal data and, and the ability to kind of see where that came from, because mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Do you, do you see where I'm going, though? Yeah, like, yeah. Because um, there's a huge social status component. Yeah, I don't know how much it would influence the the value within the community itself. You know, I'm sure when when you see someone say say an arbitrarily an unfavorable person is buying a ticket to your party, right? That's that's kind of thing. That's what you're kind of getting at. Um, I feel like within within a specific community, and you're looking at who has ownership of the different pieces of a project, it's probably not weighted too heavily when you have a couple outliers here and there who you say, okay, that person has one, or this organization has one. You're like, okay, strange, but it's not, it's not going to change the, the slope of our, mm-hmm. of our program, you know, drastically. It's an outlier. Whereas if you have really large institutions say come in and buy millions of dollars of a project and you say, oh, okay, these people now have a really heavy weight in the ownership and the functionality of the pieces in our project. Maybe, maybe, maybe people will look at that and say, you know, I don't really want to be a part of this anymore. I'm going to sell and then remove themselves from that community. And then as more people sell, you know, there's less demand, the price goes down. So I think there's, there's also market equilibrium Mm -hmm. and economics that comes into how a project grows, but I don't think it's frankly been around long enough for us to observe really large trends like that. Um, I'm just trying to, I'm I'm going to try to create another analogy here and I keep relating it back to just stock market because I mean that's in a, in a very similar sense how we're understanding value in an abstract world, right? It's like okay, I have a company, let's say Facebook, and one of my Facebook employees decides to jump out of the company. That doesn't hurt the stock price at all. Yeah. But now Mark Zuckerberg jumps out of the company. Boom, Facebook stock tanks, mm-hmm. right? And and it's because he owns part of that company through his employment, right? And and this is kind of the analogy that I'm linking when. You know, maybe like you, so you said, it's an institution that has to buy into the NFT for other people to kind of, you know, get scared and sell out or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I guess I'm just trying to understand what the strategy is behind NFTs and understanding how to grow them 
and 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 maybe this is where we get into the influencer realm. Maybe like it's your 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 market capability is what determines its adoption curve. So like the influencers, because they have a large influencing audience, uh, that is then what gives them the credit and trust to build these NFTs in the first place, right? And 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 so it's like, what is this? What is this? The relationship between marketing and an NFT valuation, right? Like this is the whole influencer. Um, influencer problem slash solution in yeah. some sense. Yeah, I think it's really actually really strongly correlated. When when we're looking at some of the large influencers that are taking advantage of this space right now, you see almost all of them. Honestly, like the UFC is coming out and having one. There's uh, NFL players. Tom Brady is now opening an NFT project, mm. and you really look at people who are incredibly wealthy taking advantage of not only their their earned wealth as well as their earned social presence. And it is as much of a currency as the knowledge of where a gold mine was in the 1800s. Like, oh, I, I have you know an inside connection that's super valuable. Now, digital marketplace is a new gold mine of itself. And it's always adapting, it is not static, it's always changing, but this technology is an added layer on top of the growth of cryptocurrency mm. and the blockchain. Mm. So now when we see people who can leverage their social sphere of influence, they are creating new layers of wealth for a culture that continues to develop and innovate through this digital transformation we're going through. And one of the most overused words, but I think applicable here is like a literal digital transformation. And Often companies and corporations use that as kind of a buzzword to say, you know, we're going through this process of, you know, bringing on more computational abilities. I think this is a literal transformation of culture and society into moving a presence, an existence onto the Internet. And this representation of ownership, of validated ownership on a digital marketplace is the first of its kind for for regular consumers to have access to in an artistic and creative format. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm at some level trying to understand fluctuations in value over a long-term span. So like, you know, when I, when I have a trusted economic system, I'm going to try to diversify my assets accordingly as broadly as possible because I trust that system and maybe I don't trust any specific ones. I diversify my assets accordingly. And, and in America, you either do this like the NASDAQ or the S&P, right? The indexes. And, and so I'm wondering what, what the, the analogy is here to the NFT market as a whole. Is it, do I invest into um, up and coming celebrities. You don't want to do people that are, you know, old celebrities because their social status is going to decline and their NFT value is also going to be destroyed as a function of that. And so it's like, you know, I, in the same way that I invest in companies that will exist and continue to produce products, I want to invest in NFTs and creators that can continue to create. Right. Um, because then the more they create, the more influence they get, assuming they have an audience that is still consuming that new content. And, and so it's like the strategy here is really a production strategy is how many can you produce? Um, I don't know. Do you have any, like any, any thoughts on that? It's like a really good point. Honestly, it's, it's hard, especially right now with so much noise, like the noise to signal ratio in the NFT growth community is uh, obnoxious. It's almost ridiculous trying to trying to parse through the noise to try and figure out what has value, like legitimate value, potential to grow and capability to actually represent 
a developing platform mm. within a community. And it sometimes makes me a little more skeptical when I hear people's comparisons of what is an NFT and you hear people literally comparing it to having skins in like Fortnite or in video games where it's like, I had to spend real money on this digital abstraction to represent myself at a higher status within this digital community. And that's only one slice of the pie, like one niche community where it's like you have a couple hundred thousand people who love and play a game, who want different ways to stratify their earned capabilities or the amount of money they've put into it. Or you can look at people who share the same passion as you and say, oh my, that person has one of the rarest things that we have in the game. How cool. But outside of that community, worthless, right? So Because they don't play the game. Exactly. And once people stop playing the game, who cares about your NFT skin? Exactly. So that's where... I try and approach it less as an investment and more as a utility. It's a tool and it will be a social utility function rather than a social investment. Mm, and I, maybe not, I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong and it will change. But right now, the way I see it yeah. kind of really developing fundamental value is as a social utility. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> to me, it just reminds me of like options trading on the stock market. Like that is what NFT is. Like you don't play long on NFTs. Mm-hmm. That's just silly. I mean, as, assuming that you're going to invest in a, a pretty popular creator and like, you know, maybe they're not at their peak, but like if they're at their peak, <laughs> they're going to die at some point. So like, they're going to stop creating. They're going to stop having a social status. People are going to forget they even existed or, you know, may not have a legacy. But regardless, the point is, is that these are short term investment strategies in some sense and, and investment, not just in, in financial uh, terms, but also in social terms. So it's it's this dual short term effect of rapidly getting indicted into a new community in my eyes um, and then being able to kind of shift around communities really quickly. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really it's still in its adolescent phases of, yeah. of existence. So a lot of people will talk about all the hype that's going on right now in the next one to two to three years. And you have some people who are saying, this is crazy. And if you have the, the ability and the time and the knowledge to try and take advantage of this hype peak and leverage it to make some money, more power to you. But I think a lot of other people, or maybe maybe few other people are saying, what is this actually going to grow into in in 10 to 15 years? And asking the harder questions of, is this just some sort of a new digital scheme of of money grabbing by people looking to just kind of leverage uh, a fad? Or is there intrinsic value that that connects people within a community? Any different than um, like buying a nice pair of shoes or a really high branded item? It's like, okay, is is your Gucci bag really that valuable or is it valuable to the only people who see it as valuable so it's perceived value versus intrinsic value and i think that's much deeper philosophical question of where does value come from yeah and in some sense i (laughs) i usually am resistant to say follow the hype train but when it comes to nfts follow the hype train like i mean to be honest like that is you know that's the game that you're playing with nfts and um uh, we'll see. I mean, if that hype train dies, NFTs are going to tank. If that hype train continues to exist, it's going to continue to increase. Like that is the potential of NFTs in my eyes. Yeah. It's an adoption curve. And and I think I see a lot of, of the popular people that are existing in this space overselling its capabilities 
where they say like your football ticket will be an NFT. I'm like, no, it's uh, not. No, it like, won't. Yeah. It's so much more complicated paying like the gas fees on Ethereum for processing a transaction, right. the accessibility of being able to just print and download a ticket and verify it. Like we have a system in place that already works effectively, securely, and rapidly. So when evaluating a lot of these new projects or the potential growth of a technology, there are people who are just, you know, throwing stars into the sky, looking at how it could, how it could spiral off into something cool and new, but look at the utility, look at the functionality and look at the barriers to entry. Cause it's like, that actually doesn't make sense. Like a smart contract for a football ticket has no worth whatsoever. And maybe only in very niche cases where people are saying, oh, I still have my literal printed out football ticket from mm -hmm. the Super Bowl of 1967. That game was crazy. Mm -hmm. Where people may say, okay, you paid $250 for your ticket, but the fact that you still have the ticket, this team is now legendary. I'll give you $1,000 for right. your ticket. So only niche, niche instances will that still exist. But again, this is on the assumption that we continue on an exponential growth path into a digital existence of life. I think that's a great place to end it. And with that, thank you so much for listening. This has been episode 19 of the Certain Uncertainty Podcast. Thanks, everyone.